PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where we continue to make board studying fun, enjoyable. I'm Dr. Iltafat Hussein and I'm joined today. Wait, just kidding. I'm not joined today by Dr. Briggs. Um, you know, he's out right now. I actually don't know where. Um, you're used to him doing these solo podcasts, but you know, I told him that I still got it. You know, I'm still young enough. I can do this. He did tell me before I started the podcast, he said, Hey, old Fat, I'm going to need you to put a couple shout outs to ASAP and some of the hashtags that are going out right now. We really got to promote some stuff. I told him, Hey, Briggs, I'll take care of that. I'll mention the key hashtags and the Twitter stuff. And in the back of my head, I thought, I'm probably not going to do any of that. So, on to what we usually talk about. We are EM Board Bombs. We like to drop 10 to 15 minute episodes on interesting topics, some board review stuff, some life stuff as well. Dr. Briggs, please forgive me for not doing that intro that you wanted me to do. But, you know, look, to be fair, you know, the Twitter thing. Now, I've got a few thousand followers, and you know, if you follow me, you'll notice I really don't tweet at all. You know, feel free to unfollow me. In my days of giving interviews to the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, you know, they've long passed, and I've become a bit of a geriatric. I do like to remind Dr. Briggs that I used to be a big deal at one point. Alas, no longer. I'm now just a podcaster. So please forgive me on this one, Dr. Briggs. I know we usually say come for the stems and stay for the content here at EM Board Bombs. Um, you know, but look, sometimes the topic, it doesn't lend itself to be made fun of. The following topic is that. It's abnormal uterine bleeding. So, to be clear, not a good topic to be making a funny joke about, you know. You know I might get uh, an angry, you know, shot from my wife if she listened to the podcast and I put one of our usual stems in there. So, we're going to bypass our usual format here and on to the question. Wait, before I do that, though, Dr. Riggs would be upset if I did not mention our premium podcast. That is emrapidbombs.supercast.com. Got a ton of folks that have subscribed to the premium podcast. You can find it in our show notes as well. We like to deliver high yield pearls on that podcast. We drop a bunch there. We're about to pass 150 episodes. Okay. Back to the question. A 27-year-old female with no significant past medical history presents to your ER with vaginal bleeding that has been present for two weeks. She states she has a history of heavy and irregular bleeding, but you know it's not been present for that long. Her vital signs are normal, urine pregnancy is negative, and her hemoglobin is 7.5. The following would be considered appropriate interventions, except A. Combination oral contraceptive pills B. Oral progestin C. NSAIDs D. Transexamic acid, aka TXA Or E. Packed red blood cells 
Correct answer here is E, packed red blood cells. That would not be the appropriate intervention here. All the others would. Look, there's a lot to unpack here before we get to why packed red blood cells wasn't the correct answer choice. You know, this topic's about abnormal uterine bleeding. You know, you might be thinking here, my response to these patients is making sure they aren't actively dying and for them to follow up with OB-GYN. Well, an estimated 5% of ED visits are for vaginal bleeding, and 1% of those patients will have life-threatening causes that must be identified. So as an EM provider, you need to have a good understanding of abnormal uterine bleeding and how to manage it. And here's the key word, how to treat, keyword being treat here, these patients, because there's stuff that you can do. Further, I chose this topic because out of all the mini lectures, I like to give my residents and medical students, you know, when they're pretending to listen to me, I hope they are. <laughs> They tell me they learn more with this topic than any of the others that I give. I would say not any of the others, but you know, this is one of the main ones. For example, do you know what the two FDA-approved uses of TXA are? It's probably not what you thought before this podcast. But I digress. Back to the main topic here. Obviously, it goes without saying. The topic we're going to cover is abnormal uterine bleeding in the non-pregnant patient. Not including pregnancy here. It's a whole, you know, bag of worms, a lot of other stuff to deal with if I threw a positive urine pregnancy test there. We're not going to get into the you know, deep pathophysia. For example, we won't be talking about the immature hypothalamic pituitary ovarian access as being the most common ideology of abnormal uterine bleeding in adolescence. No, no, sir. Uh-uh. That's not what this podcast is about. We're going to talk about, you know, some of the key historical stuff and then get into the treatment. That's what folks are interested in. First, what exactly is heavy menstrual bleeding? It's considered heavy if there is a cyclic bleeding that's more than seven days or if it's heavy enough to interfere with the woman's quality of life. You know, you could argue that if your patient's showing up in your ED, it's interfering with their quality of life. Remember when you're getting your history to, you know, ask some of the obvious stuff, for example, you know, making sure that bleeding isn't GI in origin, you know, asking about trauma, easy bruising, etc. On physical exam, make sure you're doing a good pelvic exam. Look for cervical lesions or signs of trauma that could be causing the bleeding. For labs, I'd argue the most important test you're doing is checking a pregnancy status. If there's significant vaginal bleeding and your patient is ace, you know, symptomatic, you should get a CBC. It's debatable getting coag studies, though. You know, I don't know what the utility really is there unless your patient is hemodynamically unstable or really not doing well, or, you know, you're concerned they're having easy bruising or you're looking for something else. Obviously, you're screening and getting chlamydia gonorrhea testing when you're doing that pelvic. Okay, now, on to the exciting part. Let's get into the treatment. Frankly, that's the most interesting part of this whole thing and where I see the most knowledge gaps. And look, remember, the default treatment option here is not follow up with your gynecologist. All right, we're actually going to offer some things here. We're going to discuss the answer choices to talk about treatment. 
because they were listed there. Remember, the patient presented was stable. That's a critical part here. This isn't a hemodynamically unstable patient that we were talking about. We'll get into the unstable patient later. So there are four key treatment options available for this stable patient with abnormal uterine bleeding. First, out of all these answer choices, you might be wondering how TXA can be used for heavy uterine bleeding. I know sometimes it feels like we use TXA for everything in EM, from major traumas to even using it for hereditary angioedema. And yes, there's controversy in its actual efficacy for these things. We're not going to get into that here. That's not what this podcast is about. But did you know, this is like one of those uh, The More You Know podcast, if you remember that, the whole NBC thing, The More You Know. Did you know there are only two FDA-approved usages for TXA? One is to prevent periprocedural hemorrhage in hemophiliacs. And the other is for the treatment of ovulatory abnormal uterine bleeding. And this isn't one of those usages of TXA that journal clubs love to debate about. Nope. Even a 2018 Cochrane review found substantial reduction in the amount of menstrual bleeding per menstrual cycle. We're talking about like a 40 to 50% reduction per cycle. The regimen utilized is oral TXA, 1 to 1.3 grams every 6 to 8 hours during menstruation. Did I mention that this was a Cochrane review, by the way? And, you know... We all know the purpose of Cochrane reviews. It's really to explain how nothing really works and everything is snake oil. So for Cochrane review to actually show that TXA worked, you know, means a lot. On a side note, I think the Cochrane group should have like a special badge to dish out on a particular drug when they find that it works and, you know, it's like their thumbs up. That, you know, when I think about that more though, probably would be a bit awkward when you know, and they're only going to give a badge to aspirin when it comes to treatment for MI. But back to the topic at hand. Okay, Yara Docs out there. Oral TXA is a thing. You might be wondering, I'm not giving IV TXA to this patient. No, it's not IV. It's oral. It really is. It's a relatively cheap drug. And, you know, you do have to use like GoodRx or one of those other pharmacy discount apps to get it at a reduced price, anywhere from 20 to 30 bucks for your patient. You know, those GoodRx and other pharmacy discount ops are probably recording all of your patient's personal information and selling it to Facebook or something. But hey, your patient can at least afford the medication. The other answer choices are ones you've seen before. So, combination oral contraceptive pills have both estrogen and progestin and are commonly prescribed treatment in stable patients with mild bleeding. One of the key contraindications for combination oral contraceptive pills are a history of clotting events, such as DVTs or PEs. Oral progestin is a good choice if there is a contraindication to estrogen use, such as, like I mentioned, kind of thromboembolic events, or, you know, like there's a goal to preserve fertility. You know, they're not going to work nearly as well as TXA or combination oral contraceptive pills. You know, oral progestin really doesn't match those two. 
But hey, you know, it's a treatment choice that you can utilize. NSAIDs are another treatment option for abnormal uterine bleeding. They really don't get enough play. They're especially useful for heavy menstrual bleeding that's coming from fibroids and coagulation disorders. It might seem kind of counterintuitive here, but without getting into the nitty gritty, women with heavy menstrual bleeding have an increase in prostaglandins, and NSAIDs help reduce this. Lastly, the incorrect choice, you know, one of the, you know, the incorrect choice here was packed red blood cells. You need to reserve this for unstable patients. Similar to stable GI bleeds, a restrictive strategy of maintaining a hemoglobin threshold of 7 is recommended. The threshold is 8 for patients with underlying cardiovascular disease. Again, this is for hemodynamically stable patients and obviously dependent on how symptomatic the patient is and how acute the blood loss has been. Okay, now we're going to drop some more knowledge bombs here. What about your patient who has severe vaginal bleeding that's causing hemodynamic changes, like the abnormal uterine bleeding patient who is hypotensive from losing so much blood? Obviously, in this case, you're giving blood products without checking a hemoglobin in order to stabilize your patient from a hemodynamic standpoint. Stabilize your patient. If there continues to be active vaginal bleeding, you need to give what is considered first-line treatment. And it's the only medication that is approved by the FDA specifically for life-threatening bleeding. This is high-dose IV conjugated estrogen. The dose is 25 milligrams IV every four hours for up to 24 hours until the bleeding stops. Really, you should, if you're giving blood products and that's what it's coming down to, you should be pushing this at the same time and having your pharmacist drawing this up for you. And trust me, your hospital has this. You might never have heard of this, but your hospital has this, your ED pharmacist is well versed in this. So let's bring it all together. For stable patients with abnormal uterine bleeding, Remember that TXA has two FDA-approved uses, and one of them is potentially for your patient. It works really well for the treatment of heavy menstrual bleeding. Combination oral contraceptive pills, so you know estrogen and progestin, they help with the bleeding as well. But remember some of the key contraindications, such as a history of thromboembolic events or a higher risk of them. If there's a contraindication to combination oral contraceptive pills, you can consider progestin therapy. NSAIDs are another treatment option to help reduce heavy menstrual bleeding. Having a restrictive threshold for abnormal uterine bleeding with the goals being 7 and the goal being 8 for those with underlying cardiovascular disease is key. Now for unstable patients, other than giving blood products and packing the vaginal vault, you need to be immediately giving these patients IV conjugated estrogen. It's FDA approved specifically for life-threatening bleeding. Well, that wraps it up. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Again, my apologies to Dr. Briggs. I did not mention the hashtags he wanted me to mention and a bunch of other stuff, but hey, I hope he forgives me or I have a sneaky suspicion that he might cut himself into the end of this podcast somehow and mention all the things he wanted to mention. But on a more serious note, 
You can find us at emboardbombs.com. You can follow us at emboardbombs on our Twitter account. I think we've got the Instagram page as well. We would really appreciate it if you checked out emrapidbombs.supercast.com. It's our premium podcast where we drop a lot of short podcasts um, all throughout the month. And if you want more frequent updates, you can go there. Uh, We've got an AMA section. You can ask us a bunch of questions. And then once you sign up for that podcast, you automatically get placed on a special newsletter where we push out three emails a week um, with a bunch of key knowledge pearls. We like to say it's drip learning. Anyways, hope you enjoyed. And next time, we're going to have Dr. Briggs on because... He's quite entertaining, and he knows how all the social stuff works, like Twitter, which I do not, clearly. Goodbye. Am I on? Okay, we're live. Does he really think that I don't see all these episodes we make? I am the editing person of this two-man show. I leave for one show. And this is why we can't have nice things. This is the type of episode content we get. Anyway, not one hashtag was dropped. Hashtag ASEP21. Want to give a big shout out to all of our fellow emergency physicians at ASEP21 up in Boston. I'm sorry I can't be there. Sorry Iltifa can't be there. We're hoping for a live performance next year. ASEP and us are talking about it. We'd love for that to happen. So let your voices be heard if this is something you'd want in the future at future conferences. Remember to like and subscribe us on Twitter at EMBoreBombs. We'll be following the activities all week and retweeting some of the exciting things. So tag us if you want us to retweet you. We're happy to do so and support our fellow physicians and content producers that are at the conference. And we hope that everyone has an awesome time. Remember to drop a like on Apple Podcasts if you like what you hear as well. As always, much appreciated for your support and kindness. Thanks again.